The following is a message from Axe Church Lakeline, a church located in Northwest Austin, Texas. For more information and other messages, please visit us at axechurchlakeline.com. Lauren's going to read our scripture for us today, and uh, it comes from Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Mesa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? So today uh, we're talking about hope when life um, when life looks different than you, what you thought it would be. Hope when, hope when life's different. Um, and I think we all have those experiences where we thought life was going to be one way and then you get the left turn. You're walking in the desert, like all of us do. I don't know anyone who's done this, by the way. You're walking through a desert. You look far ahead. You're thirsty, and you see a mirage, right? All of your senses, what you see, what you smell, looking forward. It, it says there's water over there. There's a mirage over there. There is something over there that's going to quench my thirst. You get closer to it, and what happens? What happens? It's not there. It was a figment of your imagination. It was not an illusion or illusion with an A, but an illusion with your eye, right? And what happens when you when the mirage falls away? You're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die out here. I need water. I need water. You become disillusioned. Life is different than what you thought it would be. You can think of it this way. Should have got the Britney Spears mic for this one. This is a pretty yellow balloon, right? I don't know about you guys, but balloons are kind of the best. You see a balloon, good things are happening. Right? So sometimes we can take our balloons and take the party with us or take the idea with us that we want to hold on to because the idea of, of what's happening with the balloon is a great thing. It's a good thing. And then sometimes it's an illusion. And you get to the end of the thing and, ooh, what happened? My illusion, that thing that I was trusting, oh, excuse me. The thing that I was hoping in, and what I thought life was going to be about turns into a busted balloon. 
It turns into what, and now, oh, man, my, my beautiful yellow balloon, all the fun that I was going to have, this thing that I was holding on to, hoping and being excited about, the illusion of that balloon has become disillusionment, and I'm bummed now. And it happens over and over and over again. And all my dreams are on the ground. Because the thing that I thought was going to be true or give me hope, it popped. And now I'm disillusioned. What do you do with your disillusionment? What do you do when, <laughs> when what you thought was true ended up not being true? The shiny thing that you were trusting in, what, what happens when that doesn't work anymore? You're left with a lot of disillusionment. Third way we're going to look at this is through Scripture. So we figured out, okay, an illusion is something that you think is true, you're trusting, and that you're, you're operating on, that this thing is a true thing. And then when, when real truth comes into view, an illusion shatters. Something that's not an illusion, uh, it doesn't shatter. So... I want you guys to, we're going to go through that story again in Exodus 17. And I, what I want you guys to do is to, to have your, like, lenses on and, and look for the illusion, okay? But a, a quick, before that, a little bit of background. So this is Exodus 17. Before this, at the end of the book of Genesis, it goes Genesis and then Exodus, the beginning of the Bible. Before this happens, there's a man named Joseph, and Joseph interprets dreams, and it happens that he goes to Egypt, interprets a dream for a pharaoh, and the dream is there's going to be seven good years and then seven years of famine. And he says, we've got to put some systems in place, some organizations in place, some, a food distribution plan in place so that when the famine comes, we know what to do. We've got all these stores ready. And so he does this, and, and it, it becomes true. And God put this person, Joseph, a, a non-Egyptian, this Hebrew guy, in place over this country. And he's like second in charge. And so what happens? The Pharaoh's happy with him. He's like, when, when the famine hits, Joseph's brothers come. We're going to talk about this in two weeks. And, and the famine comes, and, and Joseph's family comes. And, they, and they're like, you know what? Pharaoh's like, you've been, you've blessed our country so much. Why don't they just move here? And so it's not just him and his brother and their other brother. It's multiple brothers and all of their wives and all of their servants and all of their livestock. This whole crew comes into Egypt and starts residing there. Seems pretty sweet, right? Because it is. They get to eat the grain. They're not struggling in famine anymore. They've relocated to a beautiful, prospering area. And they live that way for a while. The pharaoh changes, and the, a new pharaoh has a change of heart. The new leader has a change of heart. And they looks over there at, at Joseph's family, and he says, this could be a threat. They are multiplying like rabbits over there. And this poses a threat to us and who we are. So what did they do? They, they made them less, and they enslaved those people. And for 400 years, they were enslaved. 
making bricks and buildings and palaces for the Pharaoh, for the Egyptians. They speak out to God and they're like, God, uh, help, <laughs> help. This is, not, this is not a good situation. We're these Hebrew people. We're in chains. Uh, we're doing this work. We're in slavery. Help. God hears his kids. He hears his children. And he says, oh, I can do this. I've got this. I've got this. And so he calls Moses, another specially placed person. He calls him and he says, you're going to let my people, you're going to help them get out. My people are going to go. And God does it. There's some miraculous events. The, the Hebrew people come out of slavery and walk out of the hands of their captors. And then they show up at the Red Sea. But, but first, because the miracles just keep coming, they're led by a pillar of fire at night and cloud by day. And they show up and their, their backs are up against the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are like, wait a minute, we got the bad end of this deal. Our whole workforce left. Let's go get them back. So they go. Then another miraculous thing happens, as it does. Across the Red Sea, the Egyptians come. They get swallowed up by the sea because God's taking care of his people. And they're like, ah, oh, hey, well, I think we're safe again. And they're wandering in this wilderness. Wandering in this wilderness. I'm like, I'm kind of hungry. I'm like, hey, what are we going to do about food around here? There's a lot of us. What are we going to do about food? And in Exodus 15, two chapters before where we're at today, God says, uh, I've got a solution for that. Here is some quail. Here are quail. And we're going to have some manna. And this is what y'all are going to eat while you're wandering. They'd been in slavery for 400 years, and they're maybe a month, maybe a couple months out of slavery, and God's provided for them. He's provided safety and escape and food. And then they get to this place. They get to this place. The wilderness of sin, which isn't like theological sin. It's the wilderness of Sinai. And they get to this place and they're like, uh, you know what? We've got the food covered. We don't have the water covered. We don't have the water covered. I'm a person. Shoot, you guys have probably already seen it. I always have water on me. I would be the complaining person with the rock going for Moses. Let's just be honest. I was thirsty, but that felt like a good time. So there we go. Exodus 17, that's the setup. People that were sl in slavery for over 400 years are at this point, and they're like, oh, shoot, we're thirsty. Then it reads this. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So once more the people complained not to Moses, but against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? It's like, hey, you did all this stuff. All, you brought us through all this, and now we're just going to, like, shrivel up because we're thirsty. Then Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. 
They're going to kill me, God. What do I do with these people? There's a lot of them. And they all have rocks. And they're all angry with me. I don't know what to do. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Because I want them to see this. Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff. By the way, the one that you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Call out some of the elders. Bring some witnesses with you. And I will stand before you, Moses, at the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and the water will come gushing out. Look for the illusion. Keep looking for the illusion. What are the, what are the Hebrew people, what are the Israelites saying? This is true. Look for it. Water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Masa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord with us or not? The illusion is in the question. The illusion, the thing that they're holding on to, This illusion says the Lord's not with us. He's not with us. We're here in the desert alone. We've been abandoned, and he's not with us. He strikes the rock. God comes through again. The illusion's popping. You and I... (coughs) have lots of illusions, more than we'd like to admit. And a lot of them, we don't even know, right? You can see them in the rear view because you're like, oh, that didn't pan out. What's I trusting in there? We can see them in the rear view very easily, but we might not know what we're holding on to. Like we might be holding on to one, holding it real tight. This comforts me. This is a narrative that I'm going to keep believing in. We might hold on to it, and it might be uh, a twisted bit of, it might be the same thing as the Hebrew people. God's abandoned me. Everyone abandons me. He's not with me. You hold on to it really tight. Some of them are false. Some illusions are false. They're just false ideas. Whether you put it there or circumstance put it there or you allowed it to happen in your head. Some of them are just uh, false ideas. But sometimes for us, uh, this is what I think it happens more for us in the North American context, um, we hold on to illusions that are a lot more fun than just false ideas. We hold on to, uh, well, let's not use my words. In 1932, there's a book written. 1932, 87 years ago, by a guy named Aldous Huxley. It's called A Brave New World. 87 years ago, let's think about this. 2007 was when the iPhone came out. Oh, put it down, take it down. We're building to that point. (laughs) 2007 was when the iPhone came out. Internet started, I don't know, whenever, whoever wants to claim that claims it. Uh, Color TV happened after 1932. World War II happened after 1932. But in 1932, Aldous Huxley 
his, the premise of his book, A Brave New World, was people are going to kill themselves with amusement. They're going to amuse themselves to death. And this, uh, this is a quote from there. And, and it's treated like progress. I can, I, can, I can hold on to something. I can be so amused that it looks like progress. Here's the quote. Now, such is progress. This is one of the characters in the movie. And this is their normal. The old men work. The old men copulate. The old men have no time. No time. No leisure from pleasure. They're amusing themselves so much that, that, that there's no break from pleasure. Not a moment to sit down and think. Or if ever some unlucky chance that such a crevice of time should yawn into the solid substance of their distractions, there's always Soma. Delicious Soma. A half gram for a holiday, a gram for a weekend, on and on and on. Soma in there, in this world, is a little pill you take to let everything fade away. When I jump from pleasure to pleasure to amusement to amusement to amusement, when that doesn't work, when I can't quiet, when I have the, I don't want that quiet point. This is what he's saying. He's like, we're going to amuse ourselves to death. And, and when there's a little brief time where we have to sit with our own thoughts, you can take a pill to get rid of that. Glad that's not us. 1932. Wow. A much newer example of this, the Hunger Games. Uh, I believe it's in Hunger Games Catching Fire, where um, shoot, Katniss and the bread boy. Peta, thank you. What was the other guy? Who was the other guy? What? Gail, yeah. Peta, but we're not talking about Gail. Katniss and P Peta are in the Capitol. This is the scene. They're from a town, a region that is uh, poor, that, that does not have a lot of excess. And there's a big foil between where they're from, their district, and the capital, the wealthy place. And in the capital, it's ruled by what Huxley would call amusement. High fashion, food and drink, entertainment at the exploitation of all the other districts. And I love this scene because Peta, the guy who's made bread, and he's burned bread before, he is sitting here in front of a huge amount of food, a huge spread, an awesome, awesome party. And he's like, I can't eat anything else. I'm so stuffed. How do you guys do this? And if you notice, the, the guy over there with the crazy high fashion, crazy looking hair and great teeth, hands Peta a pink drink, and he says, oh, oh yeah, that happens to everyone here. There's too much food, but we want to keep tasting it. We want to keep going, keep tasting it. Taste this, you'll get sick, you'll throw up, and then you can eat again. Amusement, right? Here's another one. Here's another one. There's so much. Yay. There's so much amusement, right? There's so many illusions for us to go from one thing to the next thing. And the amusements, uh, sometimes it can be a lot of fun, which is always better for it to be fun. I'm going to step on these things. It's going to be disillusionment all over up here. 
Sometimes it's fun, but, but oftentimes it creeps in in different ways, or we use it for different ways. We hold on to our illusions in different ways. Think about this, politics, right? What did the person on the left say? What did the person on the right say? Who did this? Who did that? That can be for us an illusion that we're using to cope with life when we thought it'd be different, but we're holding on to this because it makes sense. And I don't have to think. Sometimes it's education. For those of you who are in school right now, you uh, have already started. Keep going. But sometimes education for the sake of numbing everything else can be an illusion. And we hold on to it tightly and, oh, I can't deal with real life because I, I have to learn this thing. Sometimes it's religion. Right? Think of it this way. I'll say this. You guys don't have to say this. I'll say this from my personal experience. It is much easier and much, much less dangerous for me to talk about dead Protestants from the past 500 years than it is for me to ask our kind, loving Father, what are you trying to teach me here, God? Sometimes good things politics, religion, education can be used as a crutch for us because we don't want to deal with the heart matters. And they become an illusion. Sometimes uh, it's just straight up things that we want to cuddle and not let us numb ourselves. Entertainment like we saw in Hunger Games and Huxley's Brave New World. Food and drink, and all of that. So the question is, for us, if there's things that we're holding on to or things that we, we feel like might be true, but then later on in a week or two or through scripture or Christian conversation, we realize they're not true, then what do we do with that? If you're a, a parent or somebody who's leading other people or leading yourself, maybe a holy devotional thing for you to do is to ask yourself, God, what are the illusions that my family, that my kids, that my spouse, that my coworkers, that my employees are believing in? What are those things? What are those things that they're holding on to? Because life changes, right? Circumstances change, and illusions <laughs> pop and break. And then what we're left with is a bunch of trash on the floor. It was like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't do the same thing as it used to. I'm not joking about that. Like, asking yourself, what are the illusions I've believed in in the past? might be the most devotional thing you ask yourself, if you give yourself the courage and the freedom to do that. And to ask it for your spouse or your kids or the people you love, that's a holy thing. What are they believing in? What can they upgrade? A lot of us end up with uh, a big handful of, of disillusionment and we become disillusioned, and we don't know what to do with that. It shows up with lots of anxiety because it wasn't different last time. How's it going to change in the future? 
or depression, uh, nothing is working. Or maybe not that. Maybe it's just a lot of dead ends. And you're like, I don't know where to turn because all these balloons, I feel like the same thing's going to happen. That feels like the right move, but I don't know what to do with it. For you and for me, and for the people of Israel, who their disillusion was, God's not with us, uh, what we're invited to do is to believe the message that was given to them much later in their history. To believe the message of a Messiah, of a Savior, of someone that is called Emmanuel. The illusion was God's not with us, and when that popped, that was good, because they needed to believe the truth, that God is with us, that, that when, when he goes to the cross, that means he's with us in the most intimate way. And so what do you do with your illusion or the things in your past that you're holding on to? You take them and you put them at the foot of the cross. Because if there's an Emmanuel, if there's a God with us that knows what we've gone through and that knows what we're going through, and then he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the truth breaks all the false things. And so we have to put it here because this is the only place that can handle it. And then what do we do? We put it all at the foot of the empty cross. And then we trust in the power of the empty tomb, right? We're Easter people. We trust in the power of an empty tomb, of a God that is not dead. He's, he, he knows he's risen. He's beaten death. He's a king. He's victorious. And he invites us into that life. And then how do we move forward? We move forward with the energy of the Holy Spirit. Not on our own energy, not looking for the next illusion. I have to do it again. Because oh. that's not going to work, and we know that. So we put it here again at the foot of the cross. And we look at the power of the empty tomb and know that he's the king, and I can trust him to live in this world. And then we walk forward with the energy of the Holy Spirit. What do we do when life's different than what we thought it was? We look at God. We hand it to him. We don't look for the next shiny object. We look at the way and the truth and the life. Amen.